Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and on our show, we amplify and celebrate the contributions of women in the healthcare and health IT space. Uh, we talk about how complex healthcare is. It's a lot like a 30,000 piece puzzle, and each one of us holds a piece of that. And so our intention here is to learn from one another. So today on my show, we have Holly Varnell, and I would love it if you'd take a moment to introduce yourself and just yeah. a little, let us know a little bit about you. It's kind of hard because you know me That's already. Right. That's right, yeah. a good point. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. that. So Holly and I know each other. We've actually worked together uh, for several years, and um, you know, we, we have past lives together. So what part of our conversation gets to be about value-based care? Because I know this about you, that she is somebody who can get into the weeds and very, very like nerd out about clinical quality measures and merit-based incentive payment system. And that used to be something, to be honest, we've traveled together. We know each <laughs> other somewhat intimately, uh, have worked with a lot of clients in the past, and it's been really interesting to watch your journey. Um, just over the years. And so I, you know, you and I haven't kept in super close touch. So since we used to work together several years ago, what have you been up to? Um, honestly, I feel like I've bounced all over the place. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> A couple of places. So after doing the consulting with you, um, I got really interested in molecular testing and biomarkers. And I started working for a genetics company and started working with hereditary genetics and then got into molecular proteomics space now in prenatal. And 
really trying to make a difference with different companies and different underserved populations. One of the things that I've done in the past, which I'm not sure you're aware of, is a VA initiative. And actually, I worked pretty hard on it um, for patients with prostate cancer, for veterans with prostate cancer right. who were exposed to Agent Orange during Vietnam Gulf Wars. They are at higher risk for being more aggressive and it travels more quickly and you want to be able to catch it before it's too late. So I was fighting to get covered a genomic test that would stratify that risk. And now um, I switched over to this brand new company that created a space in prenatal care that didn't exist before. And it has really changed my perspective on things because I didn't realize what disparities there were in maternal care. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that there wasn't any clinical quality language or the ability to measure anything right. in prenatal care. So that's something I'm focusing on now. So one thing I know about you is that you like to tackle large, complex problems. And you just really get into So understanding like, okay, you had a passion for like genomics testing. Can you tell me about that? Like you probably have so much information stored up in your head that it might be difficult to like get it out. But can you give me the basics of what you know? What, what would a lay person need to know about genomics testing and the support you were doing in the VA? If we can take that for, for yeah. just a <laughs> I can Just, you know, two, in two minutes. <laughs> try not to nerd out with it too, but yeah. No, I definitely, I did a lot of research, obviously, because I want to be able to do things that I know is actually going to make a difference. So, for example, in the VA, the genomic test um, was actually based on how the cell within a tumor, or how it, how it grows, how the tumor grows. So as the cell proliferates or multiplies, it grows. And we would have a molecular test that could tell you how quickly that was happening. Okay. So it could tell you the aggressiveness by telling you how quickly the cells were regenerating itself. And so the idea being, okay, we're gonna try to get ahead of that right and test people as soon as possible to prevent the cancer from you know getting spreading and being in its worst yeah and especially state. in the VA because in the VA there tends to be a lot less attention and a little bit of lack of care and lack of access in some cases so knowing that you can really set aside a population that you really need to focus on okay and pay more attention to them and so now you're in the maternal state uh, in the maternal like area and the thing is there's a ton of terrible statistics about maternal mortality, infant mortality, and when we look at like how the U.S. is performing, you know, for women as far as their health outcomes when it comes to maternal care, we have a lot of work to do. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and, and there's, there's a number of reasons for that, you know, like whether preg pregnant women have not been able to be part of clinical trials just by law, um, and there's been a lot of prevention and really just like lack of focus on some of you know, measuring what matters. And I think that what you're trying to touch on is, if I'm familiar with what you're getting into, and this is an area that we yeah. share in common, is an understanding of clinical quality measures in particular. So kind of giving a, um, an overview for lay people, as uh, people that are not as familiar, and we have gotten into the trenches of this with value-based care, yes. is that there is a menu of clinical quality measures that administrators, clinicians, doctors around the country can focus on, and they're essentially gonna 
report that to the government. And those are created with evidence. They have to have clinical rele like relevance, like why are we measuring this, and you know, a lot of technical um, input that yeah. goes into in the generation and creation of clinical quality measures. I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> However, I might try. So that from what I understand of what you're doing is we have not measured ma any uh, meaningful aspects around maternal care and you are trying to create that. Is that Correct. a fair and, statement? And around infant care. So okay. The newborn. So can you talk about what goes into the creation because it's a technical process. It's not something that you know you just like happens overnight. A lot goes into it. So what's your thought process behind creating a clinical quality measure around maternal care? So one, I want to touch on the, the disparities part and the health equity part because you mentioned that before and that's really kind of gets into the weeds of why I'm doing it. So kind of help sure. to understand the madness of it. So right now the focus is on preterm birth. Um, we have more than 10% of all births are preterm births. And right now on guidelines, we only have the ability to screen about 17% of mothers. So there's 80% of mothers that are out there that aren't being screened that are having preterm birth unexpectedly. What would um, we be screening for? So screening for any pregnancy complication. Okay. Screening for you know different clinical factors that can lead to pregnancy complications. Or if you're diagnosed with a complication, um, following up with care, okay. change in clinical care, okay. management. Okay. Um, but one of the things that I realized that was kind of shocking to me, because I'm pretty new to the prenatal space, I've consulted in, yeah, as you know, a lot of different specialties, um, but prenatal I wasn't as familiar with. And I learned that there, so there are guidelines that don't have very specific things for very specific individuals. And for example, African-American women, we know that they're one and a half times more likely to have a preterm birth. Yeah. For American Indian, Native Alaskan, they're one and a quarter times, I believe, more likely to have a preterm birth. So these are the people that are in the population that we're not screening. And going to the newborn and the infant too, because I'll get into that, because we're going into newborn measures as well and starting to scratch the surface with that. Um, the leading cause of a black newborn is preterm birth in the US. Okay. And globally, preterm birth is the leading cause for all children under the age of five. So, I mean, it makes a dramatic impact. So, to start to identify some of these underserved populations and be able to truly provide something that would change medical management, I began to create um, first clinical quality measures that measured providers, hospitals, employers, payers across the board on um, whether or not they're doing a risk assessment early and, okay. and for these, this specific population and whether or not they're actually making a change in medical management if, if so, they do that. So right now, from what I understand, the, clini the clinical quality measures that are relevant to moms have to do with postpartum care and it's basically after, obviously, the, the baby has been born. So the idea being of like, hey, we need to put our eyes on something a lot sooner, correct? Yes, okay. and make it... Um, more feasible, uh -huh. more reproducible, more functional for it to actually work. So a lot of the measures, or there's not, there's one or two measures out there and almost all of them are structural okay. 
or they don't really try to identify other factors. So with these clinical quality measures, I'm risk stratifying them out into different clinical factors, including social determinants of health, because you can code that mm -hmm. in clinical quality language, um, socioeconomic status by payer, by provider type. So, I mean, it just, it kind of, it gets crazy to actually think about what we're getting. So not only are we holding people accountable for doing these measures yeah. with those outcomes, at the same time, we're gathering so much information that can lead to other, you know, preventions for pretty much any pregnancy complication. So, so I, love, really cool. I love nerding out with you because you're the, one of the only people that I can talk to about the types of measures and really like know <laughs> yeah. what we're talking about. And like, okay, so there's structural measures, there's process measures, there's outcome measures, and there's patient reported outcome measures. Are the measures, and think about that, like structure would be like what pieces are in place, right, to capture some information. Process is a little bit more related to workflow. And when you think of outcomes, that's like the golden ticket, right? Like we yeah. want to have better outcomes. So are the quality measures that you are looking to, you know, create, would they be outcome or patient reported outcome So it, it'd be a mix of both because you have to ease into things certain ways, but definitely the whole point is change in medical management to okay. change what's happening. The measures we have right now are saying the same thing we already know. We know the diversity, we know what's going on. It's how do we fix it and what's a good way to do it? So definitely, it's for both the mom and the baby. All right, and so then how do you gather all of that information? Because that's a, that's a mountain in, in <laughs> and of itself. <laughs> um, so that's technical okay. and, and difficult. So you find any pregnancy-related condition for high risk and it could be non-pregnancy related too but you find these value sets and they can be procedure codes they can be diagnoses but they can also be things that are interoperable so since there's never been any clinical quality language mm -hmm. um, for maternal care it's not interoperable so systems can't hospital systems EHRs they can't talk to each other um, so that's that's the main thing and to make it interoperable you have to take these diagnoses, procedure codes, and link them to SNOMED codes, mm -hmm. to RX norm codes, and then it gets really technical and you've got thousands and thousands of, not hundreds and hundreds, hopefully we'll get to thousands, um, of different points that you're doing with the value set, and then you're extracting all of that information, and then we have a registry that we're working with, um, actually Lauren Patrick that you know, yep. the CEO of Healthmonics, she's working with us. Um, and she is able to pull in all that data and we've mapped out, or they will map out where the outcomes are and get that, but we'll also have all of the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, so that's a really sophisticated technology that she's got. It's been really uh, powerful in helping people understand their data and to try to like, get the best performance out of it, which ends up working towards education, training, you know, workflow changes. Like you just think you're looking at like a bunch of numbers, but they are very, very meaningful behind them. And so you have, a, I, are you interested in telling us about your initiative that you are uh, working on? I, th I feel course. like it's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's become a big deal. Um, yeah. A lot quicker than what I thought it was going to, definitely. But You're like, I had an idea. Yeah. And then it turns yeah. out. <laughs> I had an idea. Yeah. yeah it, was, it turns out everybody wants you know, yeah. to support this, which is really phenomenal. So I call it Dream Big in Maternal Care. It's driving equity for all moms and babies by improving gaps in maternal care. Okay. And it really does focus on health equity as well as holding people's feet to the fire 
on these clinical quality measures and on really starting to make a change. So can you share more about like what would be your vision? If, you, if we're dreaming big, like what, where do we, what would be the ultimate goal as far as, well, not even a, the ultimate, even a milestone, because even when you get to it, it's just going to be the beginning of the next mountain, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, the ultimate is kind of mind-blowing, honestly, to me. But if you think about it, we can have all this data. We're going to know all of these preventions. We're going to know all of these pregnancy complication risks. And we're going to be able to provide medical management because we're measuring outcomes at the same time. So we're building evidence for what we need to change while we're finding what needs changed okay. clinically okay. and in other socioeconomic factors. Um, so we have all of this information and now we have it in this clinical quality language so it starts to go back and forth between electronic health record systems. So imagine, let's say, if a clinical decision tool popped up in front of a provider and said, you need to do this for this patient because she's at high risk for this. One of the things could be an appointment request could automatically go out securely through their portal, through an electronic health record portal, to a patient's phone. This can happen by text and it could be patient education, it could be patient monitoring. It, it really can truly automate itself or it could send a referral out right. um, and structured data to request additional specialists or additional care. So when we think about like, uh, uh, when you're trying to track progress, you really have to have measures in order to understand like where you are now and where you want to go. And if we are not tracking something, right, then we have no way of identifying well where we are on that path. You may have a big idea, but like, okay, how do we, how do we map it out? And so you're literally in the process of trying to create that map, yes. right? Yes. And it and like I just have so much. Um, admiration for what you're doing because once I when I found out about what you were doing I was just like oh my god it's about time I'm so great because we we hear a lot about uh, um, the problems right the problems are yeah. just like we can talk about the problems all day long but ultimately what are we doing about it yeah and I was happy to hear that it was something that you're just like oh my god this is living in your head the dream big initiative well it's, yeah it's funny because here at HEMS like just at a round table that we had yesterday afternoon, I believe. It's been a, it's been a long week. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was a solution for almost every table. So every table got assigned a different mission of how to accomplish something. Okay. And this could be included in literally every one of those because it's really about maternal care and it's really about outreach and it's really about building patient trust and gaining access. And, you know, you have to be able to communicate with the patient to do that. Yeah. And of course, it's baby steps. You can start with baby steps. Uh. <laughs> you can start with different pilots, um, but you know, start with community outreach programs. But even being able to communicate and build that trust with a patient and a provider is yeah. going to be huge. And that could be done. I mean, I don't like to get on the phone. I like to text. I like to see that. But just getting a text from that, I think, would be a big difference. Well, I imagine that once you start to get this all kind of put together and more structured that you're going to have a lot of partnerships, collaborations and, you know, just a strategy around like who you end up working with, the areas that you get this implemented and like hopefully get really far really fast. So this is where it, it really blows up because I did not realize how quickly this thing would grow and how big this thing could get, but I heard at one of the um, sessions this week that engagement is 
science. You have to have a strategic engagement relies on, uh, okay, I'm saying it wrong, but. It's okay. There is a science to engagement. There we go. All right, so <laughs> it's really important to have every perspective from every angle looking at things. Um, and we, we have that. So we've got members from the National Institutes of Health. We've got members from the National Quality Forum. We have the National Committee Quality Assurance. We have the people that can make a difference and we have it from every single patient, provider, hospital, administrator perspective to make sure it's actually going to function. So we're still building advocacy internationally mm -hmm. at this point, which is just blows my mind because this just started, I mean, I feel like it's been a year, but I only started it, Sarah, in October, so I know it's not, yeah. <laughs> you know. It, it just feels like it really blew up really quick. So a lot of great partnerships. Well, well one of them too, sorry, because yeah. I want to mention this, because this was actually critical to getting these partnerships. Lauren Patrick introduced me to Dr. Sharon Hybe, and Dr. Sharon Hybe has worked on developing measures and um, specifically for National Quality Forum, CMS, in the past, and she was able to tell me specifically who we actually need to get put together this, this expert panel to be able to advise us on these, and she was a great connection for that. That's great. I mean, because one of the conversations that we have a lot around with technology and healthcare in general is unconscious bias, right? Yeah. And so you want to make sure that whatever it is that you're building and creating, we can minimize that as much as possible. And especially when we think about the impact of the communities that we're trying to have better outcomes for, it's like black and brown communities all over the world. And it's like, we really want to make sure that not like that we do better by them, essentially. Yeah, so one of the things too, I think that's really important because I'm learning new things every day. So. For example, I learned that it just, well, it kind of clicks every day. So think about um, the stress for a mother that contributes to pretty much any pregnancy complication. What if they were a top African-American leader in health IT and this stress, and they're in the underserved population, and we know they're at high risk factor, and let's think if they have any other complications. So that's something I now have to factor in, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's it's, it's really cool, one, to see all these different concepts, but to be able to, to put them into the measures so we can make this right, like we want to do it right. Yeah, and I think it's important to, I mean, it's the, the active uh, action of listening, right? And mm -hmm. they're just like, okay, who do we, what voices need to be heard? How do we make sure that their, you know, thoughts and insights are built into what it is that we're building out here so that we can have best outcomes yeah overall. and continue to listen so we've got members on the group for a specific populations but they're also we make sure they're members that are listening and hearing other voices as well so they're not representative of a population sure. they are just making sure that that population is heard wonderful well can we talk about a little bit more about you personally sure mm, yeah <laughs> you so what was did you know what you wanted to do when you grew up um, it's funny because I said this in the last one and I felt bad for it, but no, all I knew is I wanted out of Batesville, Arkansas. Okay. So I did whatever <laughs> I, I, I know where I don't want to be. And yeah, sometimes that's enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know I don't want to be here. I need to get into a big, diverse, open-minded space and plus, you know, explore what I can really do. Okay. Was, when did you, when were you, so you were, were you born and raised in Arkansas? Born and raised in Arkansas. Um, okay. So I actually, I tried to... It's, this is kind of funny because I was the nerd that was 
not very popular. My brother was the popular one in <laughs> high school. And so I tried to convince my parents to let me do homeschooling, and they just said absolutely not. So when I was 14, I started taking college classes at community college and just did it simultaneous to high school so I could graduate earlier. And it also added credit for bachelor's so uh -huh. I could actually get out of there. Um, so by the I graduated at 16, started um, Lyon College, so university type, not community college, and then was able to pretty much get out of town by the time that was done in, geez, what was it? I many. I'm just going to say a lot of years ago. Okay. But <laughs> how old, so then how old were you? You were just like, okay, I got to get out. Where, how old were you when you were able to do that? 22. Okay. And where'd you go? I went to Phoenix, and it was a culture shock. I to bet. To say the least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how long I, did it take you to sort of like readjust, where you're just like, oh, I'm not in Kansas anymore, Arkansas anymore, Arkansas. It took, <laughs> yeah. It actually took a lot. So my fixing to and buggies and that language didn't last very well. And then once you start speaking professionally, as you know, you, having a slang really puts that unconscious bias almost on it. Yeah, sure. So. I got rid of that, um, started learning proper English. Uh -huh. <laughs> did you sure. have to like be very intentional about that? Was yes. It, yeah? Mm -hmm. What is that what did that entail? Well instead of like y'all, uh huh, you guys, uh huh, fixing to what am I fixing what is that? to do? What is like, fixing to meaning? I mean to? I'm, I'm intending to. to, I'm about to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, there there was a lot of adjustment, but now that the slang's gone, I kinda want it back, but it does come back sometimes when I'm in Arkansas. Yeah, I bet especially after a couple glasses of wine. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not where you live now. So you traveled mm -hmm. through Phoenix, and where'd you, where have you ended oh, I so landed, far? No, I landed in um, Denver, Colorado. I love it there. So one, I grew up in the mountains and the woods in Arkansas. I need bigger, better mountains. So <laughs> that's where I think I'm staying, and plus snowboarding, all of the fun sports, hiking, all of it's there. It's always blue sky, and it's always sunny. So. No. Isn't it like snowing there often? It is, but it's actually um, the state with the most cloud-free blue sky days oh, really? in the nation. Yeah, oh, because it's a mile high up. Oh, that, that, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Um, okay, so Denver. Okay, that's great. You love mm -hmm. it there? And then, um, ah, this is what I was going to go. So, did, would you be blowing your mind? Do you think 10-year-old Holly oh, no. like, <laughs> yeah. has any idea what, of what you would be doing for Like, What would 10-year-old Holly think about what you do? I know that I tend to get started on something and try big things and then just keep going with it. So 10-year-old me wouldn't have had a clue. Maybe 14-year-old me might have had a, an initiative at least knowing that I was going to do something, something big, be yeah. something. And at the time, no, it was like, oh, I'm going to be a CEO of something. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you get out and you start to live the real world, and then it kind of extrapolates. But no, 10-year-old me was playing in the dirt in <laughs> Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, so they're like, no, not at all, which well, is I, awesome, too. Well, I think you definitely have displayed uh, courage, bravery, uh, you know, taking on big challenges. What advice would you give to other women who are, you know, perhaps in a similar position or starting out their careers? So, uh, competency, feeling competent, yeah, feeling confident in what you can do. Yeah. Um, and I, I heard the fake it till you make it, but honestly, you have to know that you're going to do something before other people will know you're going to do something. So you need to have that out there. You need to have that type of thought process that I'm going to do this yeah. and I'm going to do it very well. Yeah. So. A belief in yourself and um, there's something that's come up for me lately and I don't mean to like 
take over. But it's sort yeah. of the, the idea of like investing in yourself. Like I think if I would ask myself this question, I <laughs> yeah. would say, you know what, like education, um, self-awareness, things that like really knowing yourself and really like coming to a place of like investing in things that have to do with you as an individual that nobody can take away from you. Yeah. That even if you change jobs or change cities or you know change a whole lot of things that they're like within you. you the know? uniqueness, that's they, what, yeah. yeah, like the slang that got taken away. It's yeah. the uniqueness, it's the personality and finding those things that you have core strengths in. I agree completely. Yeah, and I think it's something that it's like regardless of your path and where you end up applying your skills that you get to take it with you, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's always yours and you can always come back and remember that you have those things. Exactly. Well, I am wishing you so much luck on your journey. You are about to climb a big mountain. You have, and so I want to find ways that we can like yeah. support you and make sure that you have like the, the community and expertise to help you on your way because I really believe in what you're doing. So I wanted to say thank you for coming on the show. And if people want to find you or get in touch, what would you recommend? How would you... Um, um, direct them. You know, it's really crazy. I put my name in Spotify, like my full name in Spotify, what? and Alexa popped it up the other day for <laughs> one of the podcasts, and I just mind blowing for me coming from Batesville, Arkansas. Uh -huh. You know, like Alexis is. Anywho, um, wait, should I find you in Spotify? Do you have good playlists? No, no, it was just, it was the podcast that I did. That oh. was, uh, yeah, no, not that good. But no, LinkedIn. LinkedIn um, is that's the best, usually right? the best, and okay. just Holly Varnell. Okay, wonderful. We will include that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Holly. Well, thank you for having me on, and thank you for the active engagement yeah. and believing in this. It's awesome. I am dreaming big right there with <laughs> <Yep>. you. Perfect. <laughs> All right. And thank you for watching. Uh, this has been Hit Like a Girl Pod. You can follow us online at hitlikeagirlpod.com or follow us on socials at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thank you. Hit Like a Girl Podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com.